The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Right now and fast, the Fed is on the clock just 21 hours until the next decision on interest rates and Chairman Powell's all-important news conference. The markets had a strong start to the fourth quarter. What are the chances the rally can keep rolling along? We'll debate that. Plus, a flood of results crossing after the bell from AMD to Airbnb to Caesars and more. The stock moves have been all over the map. We'll go inside the numbers. And later, a fresh call to ban TikTok here in the United States. The details on one FCC commissioner's push to get the Chinese video sharing app shut down. We will go inside the impact for names like Meta, Snap, and more. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money, live at the Nasdaq Markets. I had a full house on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Courtney Garcia, and Bono and Eisen. And we start off with the countdown to the Fed. The central bank widely expected to announce another 75 basis point in hikes tomorrow. And investors will be laser focused on any indications of how much higher they will take rates. Major averages dropping slightly ahead of the decision. The Nasdaq giving up a gain of more than one and a half percent at its highs, locking in its fourth down day in five sessions. But a couple single stocks making some big moves today. Take a look at Amazon dropping five and a half percent, falling out of the trillion dollar club for the first time since April 2020. On the other hand, SoFi jumping more than 5% after the company boosted guidance for the year. The stock at its highest level in over a month and went up another 6% on top of yesterday's gains. That's its best two-day gain in two years. So what does all this action tell you, Tim? Well, it tells me that the Fed's still very much in play because when I think of the price action today, we came into a China rally, which was suddenly, you know, less lockdown. Maybe China's opening up. Ha ha. We've heard that so many times. But it really gave ground on the all the jobs data, the jolts data and some sense that uh, payrolls remain very sticky. And remember, employers are not necessarily firing. They're freezing. And, and I think we've got a payroll number on Friday, but the Fed's tomorrow and, and the market is responding to the Fed and, and, and responding to the Fed. And therefore, below that is the Nasdaq, which has underperformed the S&P. We, we know about the mega cap tech disappointments over the last week, but down about 3% relative to the S&P. And I continue to point out that you're seeing that underperformance of what was tech leadership with its semis, uh, whether it's the triple Qs to the S&P. And those downtrends are still very much intact. And I'm not saying that they have to go a lot lower, but they could, especially when you look at the move that these things made just even during COVID alone. Yeah. What is, what is the risk here to the markets? The risk to the upside or to the downside, Bonwin, when you think about where we've come over the past couple of weeks in terms of what the Fed could possibly say to, to satisfy the markets at this point? In the short term, I think the risk is actually to the upside. Mm-hmm. We have this tendency to believe that every time going into these Fed meetings that they're somehow going to pivot or be Become a bit more dovish, and I and I think we tend to parse that information and and the um, information that the Fed is disseminating and look for some type of dovish tilt. And I wouldn't expect it to be any different tomorrow. So while I'm with Tim, the downtrends are very much still intact. I think there's a lot more tightening or plateauing that still needs to happen. I think that investors are going to be looking for that dovish tone. So just so I understand what you're saying, you think they're going to be hawkish 
but the the sort of the risk that people aren't aren't expecting right now is is something more dovish. I definitely think that they will be more hawkish, I but agree. I think regardless I, yeah. of the extent of hawkishness, uh-huh. there will be a dovish interpretation uh, of said hawkishness. Okay. I agree with the hawkishness. Of I wonder, said I mean, hawkishness. Of like said that. hawkishness, <laughs> right. I think that there's been a rally into this, right. a big rally. I don't right. know how much of it was just Well, 12% oversold. from the right. CPI, low print. So yeah, so that's a very big rally. That's a lot of pivot priced in, mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call it, dovish pivot. So to me, I think we could get not only not dovish, but I think we could get extra hawkish. Mm. That could happen. But also, I, I don't even see, I do think we'll see the 75, but I don't know why they even need to give any guidance. Why sort of give a, give a dove leaf out there uh-huh. for free? Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, why let the markets keep going? Yes. And that's exactly what, that's they, don't what they don't want, want to do. Right. Right. Well, they've been trying not, I mean, to be, to be fair to the Fed, there aren't that many Fed fans here, I think, on, on Fast Money in general. But, you know, there's been a ton of Fed well. speak out, Fed speakers out being very hawkish. And the markets just simply do not want to believe them, whether it be Kashkari or Brainerd. I mean, time and time again, we're hearing the same message that we're going to push into, we're going to push against inflation. And yet here we are. Well, I think that's People are already expecting they're going to raise by 75 basis points tomorrow. Um, likely they're going to do at least 50, if probably 75 next month. At this point, it's basically 50-50 odds. People really don't know what to expect right now. But talk about conflicting data. You're also coming out right now. We had the I-bonds, which are just at trading at almost 10%. Mm-hmm. Just went down to, um, what is it, 6.8%, I believe which shows that six months ago, inflation was significantly higher than it is today, yet the Fed is saying, okay, but inflation is so high that we can't get it down, which is very conflicting. You're saying, okay, well, why are inflation bonds like dropping, yet you're trying to get a handle on inflation? Clearly, some inflation is coming down. I think that's what the markets are trying to grasp onto. But I agree. I don't know if we've seen the data enough yet for the Fed to really become dovish, and I don't think that's going to happen tomorrow. You couldn't buy those bonds. I mean, that site was cr- – I was on that site trying to see if I could <laughs> yeah. set up an account just for fun. I mean, not for fun. I mean, obviously, it's an investment. But, <laughs> but that's fun. Investing, investing is fun. Right, right. that's investing fun. Investing is fun. You, fun. Not, you could not get on it. But, but in terms of – okay, so let's say there is a step down. Is that enough here to continue that rally that we saw – for the past couple of weeks since that low CPI print? Well, the, the rally is a function to me of sentiment positioning and, mm-hmm. and maybe even some seasonal sprinkling in, even though I know it's a little early to, to, to do Merry Christmas. It's a shame guys not here. It's really not too early to do Merry Christmas. How many shopping days at this point? But I think what we're all saying is this is the most uneventful 75 basis points in the history of mankind. It's a 75 bit hike. The hike itself, but it could be one of the most consequential press news conferences that we've had in quite some time, right? Except for what, and this is what Karen was saying, like, why even bother? Like, what does Powell have to gain by actually throwing the market a bone? He hates that the markets rallied 12 percent off that CPI loan. I don't think that the Fed wants to see financial conditions loosen any more than they have. And I think the dollars run out of gas. I'm not saying it will forever. Uh, I'm saying if we look at credit spreads, they've actually come back in after tightening up a bit. And obviously, we know what the yield curve is doing. I, I just think um, the Fed has a very tough job on this one because people presume this to be what I just said. Ah, 75. No problem. We now expect 75. And I know we don't expect expect it for December, but we expect 50. And if you, we can all look at these probabilities. The Fed fund futures curves are out there for all of you to look at. And it's pretty interesting because it adjusts itself all the time. But I just don't, you know, I don't know what the Fed has to gain by trying to do anything but sound what they've been very consistent. That's tough to do. Tim had mentioned positioning. I think that what, what is interesting, what's happened in the past couple of weeks, maybe three weeks, is that consensus is now that there is going to be a lift into year end. So, uh, you know, you wonder positioning is such that people are expecting that rally into year end. 
whatever the Fed says, because because probably there's an expectation of a Fed pivot or a step down or pirouette, whatever, whatever you want to call it, people think that the Fed is going to lay the conditions open so that there can be a lift into, into year end. So seeing that that's consensus gets me thinking that maybe people are hmm. positioned mm. incorrectly on one side of the boat. And if something different happens, wow, what a reaction we could see. That's true. And I think there's this is multifaceted because you have the Fed meeting tomorrow, but also next week are the midterms, which also tends to be a catalyst for the markets. And I think a lot of people are expecting that that could be a positive catalyst, especially if you see, depending on what happens in the House and the Senate, but any Republican seats get taken could theoretically be good for the markets. And then we also go going into the holiday spending. And right now we're still seeing consumers really strong. So, yes, I think that's why people are positioning this way. To your point, is that accurate? I don't know. I'm definitely on the op- more optimistic side here, but I think it's not just the Fed. It's all of those things combined. I mean, in midterms, it's, well, I mean, I was thinking that the past two weeks could be in part because of the expectations that there will be divided right. Congress. It has been seeming more and more bred. Right. Let's, let's, exactly. there's, there's a lot of debt on midterm elections and what they do in these cycles. How about an earnings season? I mean, how about an earnings season? I mean, Apple just had record earnings. Apple just, I mean, you know, and they, we talked about their guide ad nauseum. But I, it's not as if third quarter numbers, um, the beats have been coming through. They've been coming through across the board. And, and while companies have the backdrop to be much more cautious on the guide, not all of them have been. And, and I just think that that's part of why the sentiment right now is, OK, we get just a little bit out of the Fed positioning sentiment. We've got some more room. All right. Let's get more on what to expect from the Fed tomorrow. Michael Schumacher is a head of macro strategy at Wells Fargo Securities. Michael, great to have you here on set. Welcome to the, to the Nasdaq. Thanks, Melissa. Great um, to be here. So in, in terms of investors being long, from what I read in, in the notes, it seemed like you thought that maybe that was uh, there wasn't much upside to go here in terms of what the Fed is going to give us. It's interesting. Yeah, 75 is done. We don't have to talk about mm-hmm. that anymore. Really, it's the tone. It's is it 50 next time? Is it 75? Is it we don't know? And also, what does the Fed do longer term? This is what's getting lost, I think, in the whole discussion. How long is the Fed going to stay pat once it gets to whatever that terminal point is? Is it a few months, which is what the market price is? Is it six months? Is it a year? I think it might be 12 months, maybe longer. People are not set up for that. They're not thinking about that. But the problem is they won't believe Jay Powell tomorrow when he tells them. He's got to beat them over the head time and time again. One time, two times, not enough. So you think he's going to be very hawkish tomorrow? I think he'll try, but he won't succeed. And the reason is you've got Q&A. His best performance really was at Jackson Hole. What was that? Eight minutes, leave the stage, no time for coffee. I'm sorry. That was it. Drop the mic. I'm done. I'm going to go look at the Tetons or something. But he can't do that tomorrow. So he'll get quizzed. A lot of people ask tough questions. And he'll tend to hedge at some point. And I think that's the issue for the market. If people get just a whiff of an idea that, hey, maybe it's the last 75, and I can't believe we're talking about 50 like it's a non-event, but it's, it would be a relief almost. I suspect the market's going to take that and kind of run with it. And you'll get a fairly short-term rally, let's say, in risk and long-term treasuries, that kind of thing. It's really tough for Powell to get home that point. We're going to stay. He just can't really do it easily. You mentioned, you know, what happens after in terms of how long rates remain elevated. And if I said to you, Michael, we know that the Fed is going to keep rates where they are, 70 plus 75 basis points, maybe plus, you know, 125 um, for the next six months versus the next 12 months. Does that change your view on how you allocate a portfolio or how you recommend allocation? It does. If you think the Fed is going to be on hold for 12 months, it makes bonds a lot less attractive and it makes taking risk in general not terribly appealing. You think about those discount rates being a lot higher. The market's priced for something like 40 basis points of easing, give or take, in the second half of next year. If that's off the table, do you want to own as many equities? Probably not. Do you want to own long-term treasuries? I doubt it. 
even the short stuff's not that great. So maybe the I-bonds, they might work, but not a lot of other great alternatives in that scenario. So it's probably too soon to take risk in that case. So, Michael, let me ask you, let's say they get to this terminal rate, mm-hmm. and I would think that at that point they're very dependent on what the, in, what the inflation environment is. Where mm-hmm. does it have to be for them to finally turn around and ease? Yeah, the Fed will focus on core CPI and core PCE. Right now, inflation is just high. It doesn't matter. But it's going to look at core more and more as time goes on, I think. And we've got core going down to about a 4% annualized rate early next year. So pretty good drop from its current level of 6 plus. And toward the end of the year, around 3%, that's probably getting toward the neighborhood that if the economic, economic backdrop overall is really poor, the Fed might conceivably come into ease. But it's not quite there. So you've got to ask yourself, if inflation runs above three, three and a half, would the Fed really contemplate an ease at all? I doubt it. But if it's three or two eight, would it? Maybe. So it's that core number, and it's probably in the latter half of next year, earliest case, I would suspect later. How do you think about how a recession plays into this in terms of how the Fed, um, you know, gives up hiking, maybe even cuts, mm-hmm. and how that factors in for next year? Yeah, this is why Jay Powell gets the big bucks, or at least he's on the hot seat. He's going to get a tremendous amount of pressure, he and the whole committee. You can imagine a scenario, and this is what every client wants to talk about in some shape or form. Inflation's down, but still high. Mm-hmm. Unemployment's up. Maybe it's 45 maybe it's 5%. Equities, not so good. What do you do if you're the Fed? One thing you do for sure is get a lot of pushback from Congress. And lots Already of people. It is, mm-hmm. and it's going to intensify quite a bit. It's going to put the Fed in a really tough spot. So if unemployment does head up to four and a half or five percent, does Jay Powell really hang in and fight inflation? It's an open question. I think he will want to. The rest of the committee, we're not sure. All right. Michael, good to see you. Thank you for coming. Thanks, Melissa. Pleasure. All right. So, Bonwin, how do you think about all that? I think Michael raised a a couple of good points. So in terms of reaching a terminal rate and then persisting there, I think that's really what's not priced in. Like we said, 75 is kind of off the table in terms of we already know that's all but a given. 50 at least the following month is all but a given. And then the economic conditions are also kind of the variable there. You know, and I think it's presupposed that we're going to get to some terminal rate, have some massive erosion in underlying economic dynamics, and then be forced to pivot. But that may not happen. And, And a lot of the economic indicators that we're getting in fact, whether it be jolts, whether it's construction, whether it's the last GDP reading, are still saying that things are holding up are holding up very well. So we might have a longer tail or, or top to that uh, to that um, plateau than perhaps is uh, uh, suspected. We talk about the pressure that's coming from Congress on, on the Fed. I mean, th- this is a group of legislators also that that are like traders. They, they have not seen an environment where they haven't had the, the tailwind of, of monetary policy. And, you know, and do your job, too. I mean, fiscal policy at many times is really not matched up. I'm not I'm not encouraging because we've been watching this tug of war between fiscal and monetary over the last three weeks, especially in the UK. I just point that out. I, I think you get back to the sectors that perform in lower growth environments uh, and yet can have pricing power inflation. It sounds boring, but Healthcare and consumer staples are going to continue to work. I think energy will continue to work because there's nothing in this backdrop that I think deteriorates demand so badly when we're, we're demand constrained around the world right now. All right. Coming up, we've got some after hours action shares of AMD and Airbnb. The details from the quarters next. Plus, cross your heart and hope to buy. Johnson Johnson scooping up a heart pump company. So will the $16 billion buyout boost growth? We'll break it down when Fast Money returns. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. 
For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a pair of earnings alerts, starting with AMD. Shares are higher despite the company missing estimates on the top and the bottom lines. The semiconductor company is saying its revenue grew 29% from last year. Christina Partsnevelis has been on the conference call. What's the latest, Christina? Well, unfortunately, they're still going through all the numbers, but we know it's been over a month since AMD pre-announced Q3 sales. So expectations were already lowered before today. The company, like you mentioned, missed earnings by just a penny per share, and revenue came in a little light. Guidance also a little light, but shares are up over 4% in after hours. And much of that weakness was due to the weak PC market and inventory reductions across the PC supply chains, causing its client segment to plunge 40% year over year. But the company, and this is the key point, is blaming PCs and not data centers, the silver lining that investors were looking for in this report. So data centers accounts for roughly 20 or over 20% of AMD's business, and it was up 45% year over year driven by certain server processors. Even non-GAAP gross margin was 50%, an increase of 2 percentage points year over year driven by higher embedded and data center segments. The news was welcomed, especially after Intel recently posted a 27 percent drop in profit for its data center and AI unit during the exact same time frame as AMD. But again, I'm listening on the call and they're just going over the numbers so far. No comments and questions just yet. Well, Christina, keep us posted. Thank you, Christina parts Nevela. So it wasn't as bad maybe as people expected. Courtney, what do you think? Yeah, I think that that's what the story is here, is this was better than feared. Because really, I think when you look at the magnitude of how much this PC demand issue has been for AMD, this clearly is a problem. It's likely going to be a problem still in the short term. Um, but they already let us know about a month ago that this was going to be a problem, right? So the bar was lowered so significantly, and I think that's what you're seeing now. Um, I do think it's starting to get attractively valued. I mean, it is significantly cheaper than it has been. It trades at less than 19 times forward earnings, which is well below where its, its averages are. Um, but I do think short term, it still has some headwinds ahead of them. So I don't know if I'm jumping in yet, but it's starting to look pretty attractive. I, I just, you know, relative to their own guide. I mean, so this was just two weeks ago. They gave you a terrible guide, so they beat a little bit. But this stock has been pinned by that announcement, and that announcement that knocked the stock down, I don't know, 12, 13 um, percent. And in fact, while the rest of the markets rallied, AMD going into this print was up only 2 percent. So the data center is what people, as, as Christina pointed out, what people wanted to hear. Taking market share from Intel is still the story there. The fact that gaming was up 14 percent, I think people can kind of understand those dynamics. So, um, 
attractive relative to itself. I still think they're getting cheaper. All right, let's move on to Airbnb. Shares are sharply lower after hours, despite posting better than expected results. The company issuing disappointing guidance for the fourth quarter. Deidre Bose is following the latest figures. So, Debo, what's the latest here? Well, you've got it right. The stock has been volatile in after hours, despite record revenue, most profitable quarter was the earn the outlook rather that came in line, but perhaps a little disappointing on the earnings call. Chesky started it off by saying that even with the macro uncertainties, they are well positioned for the road ahead. He pointed to newer categories that he says are here to stay. Long-term stays, those are flat at about 20% growth year over year and non-urban travel. Now that revenue outlook, perhaps investors here, they wanted a little bit more average daily rate, take rate, also expected to feel some pressure going forward. So that may be what's hitting the stock. Remember, though, that Airbnb commands a higher valuation on a forward P.E. ratio basis versus other OTAs like Expedia and Booking Holdings. So the bar was a little higher here. The company, though, says they're seeing no hints of a decline in people's demand and willingness to travel. Finally, Melissa, don't miss Airbnb CEO Brian Chesky on Mad Money tonight. Deidre, what is the seasonality for Airbnb? I mean, I would imagine summer is a big season. Is winter also with holiday travel and ski season, et cetera? This is exactly what I asked them. It's actually less in the summer. August is Mm -hmm. their biggest month. And also remember that Q4 of last year fell right between Delta and Omicron. So they saw perhaps a bigger boom in demand last quarter at this time, making those comps a little bit tougher. All right. Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa on this. Bonwin, you're in this one. Yeah, I am. And feeling the pain a little bit, but um, feeling a little bit more pain than maybe I want to acknowledge. Uh, Karen and I were actually discussing this one before the show, and she mentioned this is a very asset-light business, and I think that shows through in the margins. You look at it, and it's about 68 70% vis-a-vis a 40 for, say, a Hilton or 20% for a uh, for a Marriott. So that's really the reason it's there. And talk about a tell of two cities. I mean, the, the expectations for this name is that it was a COVID darling that was also well-positioned to hold up in a post-COVID world. So you're, as I mentioned, they're also seeing long-term stays. This isn't just like a uh, an overnight or work from home type of dynamic. It was set up to take advantage of the situation there and now it's set up to take advantage of the situation now. And ultimately the expectations just weren't met. But uh, I, I would look forward to a strong next year. I think it's interesting, as we were talking yeah. about before, I love that asset light model in general. I think that just in this environment, it's still an expensive stock. And so the market's sort of tolerance for any kind of miss Little miss multiplied by a big multiple gets you so like a little bit of a hiccup forward here. or something like that. Yeah, the, I, I, on they're improving the business on cash flow. It looks a lot better, uh-huh. but on PE, little bit a lot rich. Is yep. this the kind of stock that you want to be on if unemployment in, in if you if unemployment is ticking higher, if consumers aren't going to spend as much, or is this exactly mm-hmm. the kind of stock because they won't go to the Hiltons or Marriotts and stay in an actual hotel and they'll go and rent a house? I, I think this is a stock that actually sees major benefit during time of pent-up demand. And I think it's, it's again, it's the kind of ability to do uh, quick bookings and get through. And I just think it, it, it is a valuation story. I mean, on a, on a 40 EBITDA, it trades almost twice what bookings trades. And, and I think it would be one of the first places as consumers are going to cut back. This pent-up demand on top of a recession means that you've had a big pull forward. Mm. Yeah, and I think what's interesting about Airbnb is how we can read through to the consumer here. Like, we're seeing this with the airlines, too, but people are still traveling. That demand has not come down yet, which is great when we look at the economy. It's maybe not as great when we think about how that leads to what the Fed needs to do going forward. But I think that's what I find interesting is them is looking looking through to what it means to the consumers. They're, the demand is not slowing down so far. All right. There's a lot more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next. A $16 billion bet. 
Johnson & Johnson, buying a med tech company for a hefty premium. But is this just the start of more deal-making to come? We get some answers next. Plus, TikTok on the clock. But this party may stop. The viral video platform in focus as calls for a ban come from the very top. So is this a big win for the U.S. social players? You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Caesars Entertainment. The stock is lower after hours. Contessa Brewer has been on the conference call. She joins us with the very latest. Contessa. Well, actually, what we've seen is the stock just popped on the call. Big headlines coming out of the Caesars earnings call, Melissa, on the heels of an earnings beat on the top and bottom line. First up, the month of October set an all-time record. We just learned that on the call. The entire company up double digits over last year over $200 million in EBITDA. That's the key earnings metric for these casinos in a single month. CEO Tom Reig said on the call, that's never happened before. Extraordinary margins, over 52%. Secondly, sports and digital betting finished positive for October, even though we're smack dab in football season with all the promotional and the marketing spend that that entails. Reig says the company is on track for a profitable quarter, though it may depend on who wins the World Series. Why? Caesars will have to pay out $30 million to Mattress Mac on his $3 million Astros bet from May that got mentioned as a sideswipe in the call. When they launched Caesars Sportsbook, the target for profitability was the second half of next year. So already to be able to talk about potentially that happening in the fourth quarter of 22, it's a big deal. Caesars will not sell a Las Vegas strip property. That's big news coming in. Uh, Reig says that the property that they were thinking about selling keeps improving in cash flow and the potential ability for buyers to borrow is declining. So they're keeping it. And one more thing I want to say on uh, sports betting here. He said that the promotional verticals, they've been able to figure out a way to more target, more accurately target the profitable customers rather than those who take the promotion and then never follow it up with any actual real wagers. So uh, you can see the stock popping five and a half percent, Melissa. That seems like gold, Contessa. Um, how much? How much does match? If Mattress Mac wins his bet, how much does that cost Caesars? At thirty million dollars, he bet three million dollars in May on the Astros to win it. That's yeah. just with Caesars Sportsbook. He's uh, bet a total of ten million dollars with other operators. If he wins on the Astros, he'll walk away with seventy-five million dollars—a record-breaking legal U.S. sports total. Bet. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. I would have laid off some of that action, though, if I, in May, picked the Astros and now the chance is reasonable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Contessa, thank you. It's like Mattress Mac's best day to be mentioned on the Caesars <laughs> conference call is actually, like, he's yeah. an asterisk next to 
their quarter. Depends on if he wins this wager. <laughs> I mean, when you've got that much on the line, it's unbelievable. Um, certainly, we're not pulling for the Astros here. But that's another topic. I mean, you think about Caesars, the fact that the digital spend has is, is come down so much. You've actually seen profitability in the digital space. They got to their market share of mid-teens faster than they said. So, you know, that brings a lot of that spend down. $200 million in partnership costs roll off. I, I just think that the Vegas dynamic is still very, very strong and better digital. The stock's been cut in half. I just think valuations in the space are, 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 are very attractive at this point. It doesn't mean it gets simple from here, but it means over the long term you're going to be paid. DraftKings, by the way, is up by 6.7% in the after hours, presumably yeah. on this very good news out of Caesars. Uh, Bonwin, how do you feel about the space? Yeah, I think I'd rather own some of the digital stuff. I know we're, uh, we can argue about valuations, and I, I've kind of taken my medicine with Airbnb. But Caesars, if you look at it versus the rest of all of those um, casino operators, it has underperformed massively. And I think there's a reason for that. And for me, I really think the transition, the secular trend is towards digital. And I'd rather a bit more exposure there, whether it be uh, PIN or whether it be DraftKings. Courtney, is this another read through for you for the consumer? Or is this a whole different kind of consumer that will bet no matter what? <laughs> yeah, I think this is a different story than that. Um, but, yes, clearly I do think some of what you're seeing in Vegas, not continuing demand, is is something to be seen there. Um, I do think it's kind of fascinating, too. So we were talking about that Mattress Mac. His whole thing is he's doing this for promotions of his mattress company. It's also probably going to help Caesars. Because if you think about everybody is hearing about this story, and it's probably going to lead more people into that sports betting, which I do think, like, longer term is going to be a really big industry. Um, immediately, though, I mean, I'm not looking at companies that are unprofitable, which Caesars is. I think this macro environment isn't necessarily well positioned for them. Um, but I do think longer term, it could be a good story. All right. Meantime, we got a big med tech deal making headlines today. Johnson Johnson scooping up heart pump maker Aviamed for over $16 billion. The deal sending shares of Aviamed surging nearly 50 percent. The CEO of J&J saying in the past that the company will look to build up their medical devices unit through acquisitions. So should we expect more M&A in the space? Karen, what do you think? Yes, I think so. I feel like, you know, th this this whole sector is they're gigantic, first of all. Right. This is a big deal. Seventeen billion dollars to J&J. &J, this is not a big deal at all. So there's a lot of these potential targets that are out there. You know, Merck just announced a deal and uh, Lilly. I mean, they're all huge. They're a quarter of a trillion dollars plus. So they could all afford to do acquisitions if they wanted to the balance I mean for them borrowing is available if they want it or they have cash on the balance sheet and there's sort of a psychological psychological element to it if you see your friend the CEO of XYZ Corp doing a deal I'm telling you it sounds ridiculous but you're gonna look you might you might have this idea of all right it's safe to do now right that it yeah it feels safe and there's some cover. If we're all doing deals, right. no individual one of us will look dumb if they don't work. We'll all look yeah. dumb collectively. We'll all look dumb collectively. <laughs> That's what this show's about. Well, and we do a lot of that around here. So, uh, But J&J but, but &J doesn't. And, and I'd say the reason I'm long the stock is because of the diversity across the med tech and the medical devices, along with the pharma pipeline, that I think has more growth than some of the peers along with their consumer products. So this, to me, is to me the, the perfect stock in this environment. Uh, the med tech innovation is where the margins are for them. And the fact that they're starting to jumpstart that tells you why they paid a lot of money for this stock and the stock didn't even blink today. And I think that's what you know, that's the story. Coming up, TikTok on the clock. And that could be a big boon for its U.S. rivals. We got the details next. Plus, October auto sales coming in hot. Former Ford CEO Mark Fields joins us in just a few minutes to break down the numbers. We're driving into that trade next uh -huh. when Fast Money returns. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Another check on how the markets close out the day. All three major indices ending in the red. The Dow down nearly 80 points. The S&P down four-tenths of a percent. The Nasdaq leading the losses down nearly a percent. But a few names bucking the trend and hitting all-time highs during the session. Marathon Petroleum, Regeneron, Cigna, and Lockheed Martin all touching records. Meantime, after the bell, Cheesecake Factory dropping 10% after its earnings report. The company missing expectations, citing persistent inflationary challenges in some areas of the business. All right, let's swipe now to TikTok. Is that a mixed metaphor? Do you swipe on TikTok? Anyway, you know, I, I have no idea. An FCC commissioner telling Axios it is time the U.S. <laughs> government banned the Chinese-owned social video app. The news propelling shares of Meta and Snap higher today. Both have products to rival TikTok, of course. Julia Borson's got the details on this one. Julia. That's right, Melissa. Shares of Meta ended the day up more than 2%. Snap up about 3.5% after a report in Axios that FCC's Commissioner Brandon Carr says CFIUS should move to ban TikTok. He's referring to revelations about TikTok and parent ByteDance's management of user data. And Carr said, quote, I don't believe there is a path forward for anything other than a ban. He's, of course, one of five FCC commissioners, and the FCC itself does not actually have any authority over TikTok. CFIUS does, and CFIUS is currently in talks with TikTok to determine if it can or should be divested to a U.S.-based company. TikTok got back to us with a statement saying, quote, Commissioner Carr has no role in the confidential discussions with the U.S. government going on to say, we are confident that we are on a path to reaching an agreement with the U.S. government that will satisfy all reasonable national security concerns. A Treasury spokesperson telling CNBC that its CFIUS division is, quote, committed to taking all necessary actions within its authority to safeguard U.S. national security. Now, Melissa, they also note that CFIUS doesn't comment on transactions that it may or may not the reviewing. But I also want to point out that shares of Oracle were down today, down about 1.2%. TikTok, of course, routes its U.S. traffic to Oracle's cloud infrastructure. Back over to you. Julie, do the midterms play into any of this in terms of, you know, if Republicans gain the House and or the Senate, if Republicans could be tougher on China and so therefore a ban might be more likely? I mean, look, this has been a conversation that has been going on for so long. There does seem to be bipartisan concern about TikTok in particular. We have to remember what TikTok went through um, in the Trump administration. So it's hard to say, but from, from what, it, what it sounds like is these talks have been going on for a while between TikTok and CFIUS. So maybe um, a, a Republican-controlled uh, House could have an impact here. But I think ultimately this is something that CFIUS is dealing with now, and we could get some information on it fairly soon. The question is just how dramatic and draconian the CFIUS decision is. All right, Julia, thank you. Julia Borston. Karen, we were just talking about this as one yes. of these sort of events that could be a major catalyst for Facebook, right. excuse me, Meta, and, and Meta uh, finished higher by 2% today. I know, it was up, I think, 4% <laughs> it went, but you know, it is Meta so up too, I guess is really is great. But I think, you know, it's interesting, this was an issue during the Trump administration and there was that whole unusual deal with Oracle, shall we say. Um, but but it, it was never really resolved. Remember, though, even though there was hostilities between the Trump administration and China, they're ratcheted up a whole lot more now, right? I think we're looking at a very yeah. different, far more, you know, uh, confrontational um, dynamic. Sticky, yes. And so I, I think that makes the chances a little higher, but it is not a reason to... Uh, 
to be in Meta on the hope that TikTok, if it happens, great. Yeah. It would be great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would actually see this a bit better beneficiary for Snap than it is for Meta. And I think when you look at your TikTok versus your Snap, they have that really young demographic, and especially when you're looking at advertisers. It's a very specific niche target audience. And so if Snap, I'm sorry, if um, TikTok were to go away, I think Snap would actually benefit more so. What it doesn't help is people did not like to see with Meta how much spending they're putting into this new platform there is, which is still questionable of how much it's going to go forward or not, right? So I would actually say it's too preemptive to see if TikTok, anything will happen with it or not. But if it does, I think Snap's your beneficiary. I, I do think in a different controlled Congress, you could see this kind of a move. I mean, I, I do think that, and that, this is what Karen's alluding to, I think there's yeah. been a major change from where we started on this conversation. I, you know, FCC uh, Chair Carr, I mean, really has a bee in his bond on this. I mean, he's gone way out there. Um, and, and I do think that data privacy legislation on a national basis and consider this is what TikTok's saying, by the way. We want that. We welcome it. And it should be out there. We need something. And, and I think that's part of where I think they're going to get to. How aggressive? I don't know. But I, I, it's not a reason to go out and buy either of those two companies today. All right. Coming up, former Ford CEO Mark Fields joins us to talk auto sales. What he says is in store for car prices when Fast Money returns. And we're taking a look at Uber on the back of its earnings this morning. How options traders are playing this one. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Financing rates soaring since the Fed started raising rates in March. Edmonds reports the average APR for used vehicles is 10.3%. That's up from 9% in March. New vehicles come in at 6.3%. That's up from 5.2% in March. Our next guest expects auto dealers to hold the line on prices, at least for now. Mark Fields is a former CEO of Ford and Hertz. He's now a CNBC contributor. Mark, great to see you again. Hi, Melissa. How, how, much, how much pressure are these dealers facing at this point with, with the cost of, of owning a car per month just skyrocketing here? Well, you're still seeing a relatively strong market. I think when you tally up the uh, results in October, you're going to see the industry up versus last year and, uh, and up versus October. And part of that has to do with the pent-up demand uh, that you're seeing out there. But, uh, you know, the, the average selling prices are still at near record levels, although they're starting to come down. Uh, but, you know, listen, when you have interest rates that are going up to the extent that you just showed on your screen there, I mean, in some cases, a car payment is, is approaching a rent payment in some parts of the country. And so I think you'll start to see a moderation in, uh, in some uh, demand falling off, maybe some more discounting as the inventory levels get back to uh, other areas as we go in the months ahead. But right now, the dealers are fine. They're coming off a record two years. But I think they're they're prepared for tougher days, particularly going into 2023. If if you were still ahead of Ford, Mark, how would you view that view this time, and how would you view, you know, the wind down of certain businesses, for instance, and sort of getting lean into a potential recession? Well, I think what you're seeing the automakers doing uh, is they are starting to tighten their belts. Uh, first off, we have to put into perspective, Melissa. You know, and in. in in the last three or four downturns, the industry has always been in a situation where there's been high discounting, high levels of inventory. You don't have that now. You have very low levels of inventory by historical standards. Uh, they have to restock. Uh, but, but that being said, you know, when with these levels of interest rate, demand is going to fall off. So you're seeing automakers announce uh, reductions in, in, in workforces. You you saw that happen at Ford. You saw that uh, happen in, in other automakers, Stellantis, that are offering buyouts for employees. You're seeing them belt, tighten their belts like Ford deciding 
listen, the investment in Argo AI, which was for uh, level four autonomy, don't see, they probably don't see a path to profitability. So they said, listen, we're going to make choices. Strategy is about choices and, and, and as you see tough times going forward. But the balance sheets of these automakers are in great shape. So I think they'll fare much better than they have in a, any other downturns. Of course, that depends on how severe it's going to be. Mark, it's Karen Feinerman. Thanks for being on. When you look at the industry and you think about the vast differential in valuation between a Tesla and between a, you know, a GM and a Ford, do you, how do you think about that? Do you think it's out of whack? And if so, from which sides? Well, I do think it, by, any, by, any, by any measures, uh, Tesla is, is valued very, very richly. But listen, investors are looking at that and they're looking at the, the growth prospects of the company going forward. When they come out and say, on average and over time, they're going to grow at 50 percent, that's pretty compelling. But, you know, clearly, if you look at the uh, valuation metrics, it is overvalued. But that being said, you know, Elon Musk, there's a lot of star power there. He paints a, a very interesting picture for the future. Uh, but at the same time, I think the established automakers are making a lot of inroads, particularly on electrification. And I think at some point, the market is going to give them credit for that. But for now, they have not. And I think the other thing they're waiting to give them credit for is, listen, they have all said they're going to have uh, volume and manufacturing and pricing discipline through the next downturn. I think the market is going to wait to see if that happens. And if it does, then I, get, I think you're going to see some multiple expansion for the automakers, but not before that. I'm going to ask you this question, Mark, because I've gotten some surprising answers when I've asked this question in the past um, of, of people who are closely tied, you know, in the C-suite of various companies. But at this point in time, seeing that we are on the cusp of recession, rising interest rates, would now be a good time to be a buyer of Ford? Well, I think it's always a good time to be a buyer of Ford. Of course, I'm All a little right, biased. You gave me the answer that I thought you But listen, I think, you know, by, uh, investors should look at this from a historical standpoint. And when you look at the multiples of companies like Ford and GM today, uh, they're quite low, but they are very differently positioned for this downturn. And so I think if investors can look past the fact that we're going to have uh, some demand destruction going on, uh, the fact that the balance sheets are in very, very good shape, and the fact that you know the both automakers and all automakers are being quite transparent with the marketplace in the actions they're taking now to prepare them for that from a cost standpoint, uh, I think long term, listen, auto... Autos are an important part of uh, the economic landscape across the world, and uh, I always think it's good to be invested in this space. I presume you own Ford. Do you own other automakers? Uh, I only own Ford. Okay. All right. Mark, always great to speak with you. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Melissa. Mark Fields. I asked that because I asked Bill Simon, would you rather Walmart yeah. or Target? And he said Target. So I'm like, well, you, you never know what you're going to get back. <laughs> you just should always ask. Well, and, and we've gotten some interesting answers out of, out of, out of Bill, yeah. maybe for the other guy. Um, <laughs> but in terms of Ford, again, what is that multiple that he mentioned? It's, it's seven times on each side. So, I mean, it's attractive. Yeah. 
Yeah, and when you look at the divergence between uh, your traditional automakers and Tesla, as we mentioned before, and we've kind of had this conversation ad nauseum, you, you really start to look at those input costs. And with chips easing, you wonder, at, right now it's really, uh, you know, a battle of wills. Which one can raise prices higher and keep them there? And I think, you know, you really need to look through at, like, the Greens Act and things of that nature that will kind of give us these incentives to continue to have the growth that all of these companies are banking on on the EV space. All right, coming up, Uber driving higher after posting some strong revenue numbers this morning. What the company had to say about fourth quarter guidance. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Uber stock surging today after reporting a 72% jump in revenues in the latest quarter, issuing strong fourth quarter guidance. The company expects expects gross bookings to jump 23 to 27% in Q4. That strong guidance helping Wall Street shrug off, shrug off an EPS miss. And options traders are betting this report will springboard even more gains for the stock. Mike Coe has the action. Mike. Yeah, so we saw three and a half times the average daily options volume. This stock typically pretty busy in any case. Most of the bullish activity we were seeing was concentrated in the weekly options. The busiest of those was the 30 strike calls that expire this coming Friday. Buyers of those were spending about a dollar for almost 24,000 contracts. Buyers of those calls are obviously betting that the stock's rally that we saw today could continue through the end of the week. Yeah. Courtney, where are you standing on Uber? Um, Uber, again, it's an unprofitable company, so it's really not something I'm jumping into right now. But one thing I found really interesting with them is previously they were having an issue with the supply of drivers. They actually noted how inflation is bringing people to become drivers to supplement their other spending, which I thought was kind of fascinating. It was actually helping Uber. So I thought that was a really interesting thing that came out today. I think this is everything for these guys. So I I think Uber's really attractive here. I think their business is normalizing. I think that the driver's uh, dynamic is something that's been this idiosyncratic part of why it's a good hedge here. I'm long left, uh, and and I do think you have a normalized earnings profile for these companies. Whatever that is, we were struggling with that before, you know. Mm-hmm. But I think we're back to where we were. Karen, what are you? I, I have a little bit of lift. Yeah. Um, I liked it because I liked sort of the purity of that business. I Just didn't right, like Karen. as well Uber uh, Uber Eats, and actually they have freight now, which Darren was pretty hop, uh, pretty psyched about the the freight business. But um, it's good for the whole space. I hope Lyft will go up with it. All right, Michael Coe, thank you. For more options action, we'll uh, be sure to tune into the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Final trade time, Tim Seymour. Yeah, J&J, you're paying a market multiple, and I think you have a much much straighter line on earnings progression, so J&J. Karen Feinerman. Yeah, so it seems to me the market is positioned for some sort of pivot or something, and I don't think that's going to happen, so I'm short some spiders into this Fed tomorrow. Interesting. Short-term player here. Uh, Courtney Garcia. I think you want to make sure you're positioned regardless of what the Fed does tomorrow. I think your pharmaceuticals are well positioned. The XPH can be a great way of playing that. Bono and Eisen. XLP, X-Ray Larry Paul. I mean, these are companies, as we've seen from earnings, that have the ability to raise prices despite the environment. Speaking of the Astros, are you, you watching the game tonight, Mel? Uh, I mean, yeah. You know, yeah, I'm sure you can. Sure. <laughs> Definitely. High on my list there. As soon as I get home, huh? I'm going to turn that on. All right, Mattress Mac. Football, right? Yeah. Uh, thanks for watching Fast Money, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. 
like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.